Long Beach Sermons, visit us at citychurchlongbeach.org. I'm Brenna Rubio. For those of you who don't know me, I'm the other pastor here at City Church. And yeah, it is so good to be with you on this gorgeous Sunday morning. If you haven't had a chance to get out in the sunshine yet, I definitely recommend it for later today. I'm feeling just all sorts of energy from the amazing weather we've had the last couple of weeks. So as we start our, our sermon, our time and conversation together this morning, we're going to start it with a little social experiment around yawning. Might be a little bit of a different approach, but this is what we're doing. So what I need you to do is get into just be very, very comfortable right now. And I really want you to listen to the paragraph that I'm about to read to you about yawning. Okay, everybody ready? Despite boatloads of research into the subject, nobody really knows why humans yawn or what precisely triggers one. We yawn when we're bored, but also when we're stressed. We let loose a gaping yawn when we're tired at the end of the day. And when we've just awoken, refreshed from the night's sleep, we yawn when we see other people yawning. And even when the family dog swings loose his slobbery jowls to suck in some fresh air in anticipation of a walk. And oddest of all, if you listen to this last paragraph intently, there's a 55% chance that you yawned just from hearing about yawning. I, I kind of want to test this. How many people just yawned? I see Dave like doing a little thumbs up at Sarah. Bill's putting up his hand. He yawned. I wonder if we hit that 55% this morning. Courtney, I see that hand and I can't see all the screens. So I'm sure I'm missing people, but yep. And in the chat, <laughs> some people were resisting it. They didn't want to be part of the statistic. I love it. I wonder what that says about your Enneagram type if you were resisting. <laughs> The reason we're talking about yawning this morning is because I just think it's fascinating. Like there are certain words and subjects that like as soon as we say them, as soon as we approach them, we have a physical reaction. It's just a word, it's just an idea, but we react. And this morning we're talking about a word that tends to do that to people. And I actually want to invite you to notice that because we're going to talk about, oh man, I still see a yawn going, there's chain reaction. Some of you might have to shut our eyes because you know that, that triggers the yawning too. Okay, so our word this morning that triggers a reaction is shame. As soon as we say the word shame, I don't, do you feel more tension in your body right now? Do you sense a little spike of the heart rate? A little bit of, oh, what's coming next? And what is this gonna do to me? Brene Brown, you know, who is so famous for all of her research uh, around shame, you know, this is her thing, this is her area. She says that it is just the best way for her to shut down conversations in the airport. Like when she doesn't wanna talk to people, you know, and they say like, oh, what do you do? And she says, I research shame and just boom, that's it. End of conversation because nobody wants to talk about shame. And so I'm inviting you just to notice it this morning because we wanna talk about shame. 
And we want to do it saying like, okay, you're feeling what you're feeling. It's legitimate. It's normal. Everybody else on this call is having the same reaction. And yet, what if there's something on the other side of the reaction? What if there is an opportunity for us to move past this reaction, to say, okay, if I believe that I'm safe, that this is a safe place, nothing bad can happen to me right here. What if God actually has something to say to me this morning, to speak into my shame, maybe even release me from it? Like what, what if that is the invitation this morning? Man, I hope so. That's what we are hoping for. So to kick us off, to get us into this really important and uncomfortable subject, I'm going to invite my friend Nicole Makatrau, and she's going to read scripture for us this morning. Come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red as crimson, they shall be like wool. People of God, this is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Thanks so much, Nicole. Thanks, Nicole. Uh, thanks, Brenna. Uh, I think people are going to be yawning the rest of the sermon, so, which is just so good. I love that. That's awesome. Um, we're going to unpack this brief little passage. Um, and I'm cozy though, so yawning's on it on the way I down. I think that's somebody. There you got it. Um, so we're going to unpack uh, this this passage about sin and talking about it and processing it. But we've we've got to do a little bit of unlearning around the religious language uh, that Isaiah is using here. I mean, this is thousands of years old, this passage. And so we're going to try to decode the religious language, this word sin. Um, back in the day, I think there was perhaps more of a common understanding of it uh, when Isaiah said, though your sins are like scarlet. You know, they're standing out, they're prominent, they're uh, blood red, uh, even. For Isaiah, you know, that's a, sort of a catch-all phrase that people would have stood. But for us, that word does not have as much of a common meaning anymore. But as you read through the book of Isaiah, and really through the Bible, this idea of sin could really be described as having an unhealthy relationship, having a, a broken relationship, a dysfunctional relationship to God, to other people, and to ourselves. In any one of those categories or multiple layers of those categories, that's what sin is. And shame is the result of that dysfunction. So there's a distinction here. Sin is, is the thing itself, and then shame is our perception, our self-perception afterwards, if that makes sense. 
think about when um, you do something that breaks relationship, um, that that hurts someone, that uh, damages yourself, that you know God does not want you to do. Shame is what follows afterwards. Usually it's this self-talk of, I'm unworthy. I'm so bad. I can't believe I did that. Oh, I'm so worthless, right? Um, and I, I want to share a, kind of a simple example, but hopefully it gets at um, some of this stuff because a lot of the, as I talk with folks, a lot of our shame originates in childhood. It's still, there's still issues in adulthood, but a lot of it originates in childhood. So I was thinking back to a story uh, and hopefully this will capture some of the layers here. But there was a time when I was, I mean, you think I'm a mess now, you should have seen me then, right? So I'm running around throwing rocks at my little brother. And I think a couple of us are doing this. And he, to protect himself, he climbs up on top of the neighbor's car. And so we keep throwing rocks at him, of course. And we break the windows out of our neighbor's car. And immediately afterwards, it's like, oh, my word, what have I done? What in the world have I done? I've broken these windows. This is, this is awful. And there's this shift between I've done something bad to I am something bad. Guilt is oh my gosh, I can't believe I did that. I broke the window. That's terrible. Oh, that was so dumb. Shame is, I am so worthless. I can't believe I did that way. And that, that feeling of shame stayed with me for a long time. I mean, I don't have a lot of memories of childhood, but I do remember that one. Now, so that, that's a little bit of a distinction between guilt and shame. Guilt is I did something bad, shame as I am something bad. But there's some layers to shame because most of the shame that we experience is not shame that we do to ourselves. It's shame that's put on us by our culture or shame that's put on us by others. So growing up, while my dad in so many ways was a wonderful man, um, my dad had a lot of anger and my dad really, sometimes he struggled with being emotionally connected to us as children. And I'm guessing there might be a few other people out here with some dad issues or mom issues that are similar. And so what happened in that particular situation was we went back and we were in a ton of trouble for breaking the neighbor's car windows. And for me, part of the shame that I felt like I'm, I'm just worthless as a son was, it wasn't even particularly dad's anger in that moment, but it was, it was the, the long-term effect of having a father that was very hard to please. At least I experienced dad as being very hard to please. And Often, probably daily, I worried about dad's anger. And so the fact that this, this 
kind of dumb thing that I did triggered all this. Sh- there was a shame that just was waiting down on top of me because uh, now I knew I was bad because of how angry my dad would be. I don't even remember if he was that mad in the moment. Uh, he probably was fine, but but this is, this is what shame is. Shame is gets put on top of us by others. And many of us, and we, we need to pause here, we're not gonna dig all of this up. But I do just wanna mention that many of us have experienced tra- trauma as children. And terrible things have been done to us. And there's so much shame there. And we believe the lies that we, we are bad because of something someone else did to us. And I'm just, it just breaks my heart. And so my story is sort of a simple story, but I know, uh, and you all know, that this stuff runs really deep, really deep. Um, so just to return to my story, uh, later in life, there was actually a ton of redemption with my dad. We had this conversation that was just a turnaround conversation in our relationship um, about 15 years ago. And there's just so much healing as some things came out about all this anger, my, my unwillingness to accept myself because of what I had experienced from him. But there's one more layer here, and the insightful people in our midst are noticing this, is shame isn't just something we do to ourselves, and it's not just something that others do to us. It's something we do to other people. And so my poor brother, right? Like having two or three older kids chase him around, throwing rocks at him. And my brother will say to this day that he... He had a hard upbringing because we were not kind to him. And I just, oh, there's so much regret there because how in some ways I was pushing off my shame onto him to make him be worse so I could feel better. Of course, none of that ever works. Um, But that's the disastrous nature of shame. It's this result of our sin and it, it stains us blood red. You know, as Bill shares about his family, his relationship with his dad and, and how that affected his sense of shame, what, what jumped out to me was thinking, yeah, and so often our relationships with, with God and especially as sort of mediated through the church are so similar. They're full of shame. That so often the message that for those of us who have, who have been part of churches before, the messages can sound like, you are bad. You're bad. Come to us and we'll help you figure out how to manage your behavior and be less bad. We're going to take this sense of shame and, and there's almost, sometimes there can be a sense of control and we're going to tell you the things, if, if you could go to church often enough, and if you can read the Bible 
often enough and, and this sort of long list of shoulds, then it'll help you feel less shame. And I, I don't even think most, most churches, certainly not most pastors, I don't think that's necessarily the message they mean to communicate, but it's the one they've inherited and received themselves. And, and so often it's the one that's passed down. Let me help you manage your shame by doing better. And it's just not actually the picture of God that I see in the Bible, certainly not in this passage of Isaiah. There's a passage later on in the Bible in the book of Romans saying that it's God's kindness that leads us to shame. It's not God's anger. It's not that God is, is so angry looking and shaking his finger at the places where we're weak and we're broken. But it's this God who invites us in and says, come, let us reason together. Let's talk about it. Let's, you, you don't have to hide. And, and so often I think that is the reaction. I mean, we really, um, spiritually, we can respond in one of two different ways. There is a response um, that is really, I would say, motivated by the evil one. Some of you, if you've been around church for a while, you might have heard and thought about it in terms of Satan. Satan is, is the name, the word that we give to what really is just a personification of evil, of the evil forces in the world. And, and so evil, brokenness, whispers in our ear, you're never going to be good enough. You're so broken. God can never accept you the way that you are. And people aren't going to accept you either. So keep your shame to yourself and hide. And, you know, hiding has been the response for, I mean, since the beginning of the story in Genesis 3, Adam and Eve make their first big mistake. And what immediately happens? They realize they're naked and they hide. This is what we do. They felt shame. And it's like, it's like my little ones right? Like when early on, our reactions to shame and the ways that we hide, they're not very sophisticated. We go jump in our bed and pull the covers over our head. Or sometimes it's just, you know, cover up our ears and shut our eyes, like, so we can't hear the word of correction, right? Like we have very, very simple methods of hiding at first from this, this sense of, oh, we're not good enough, and these feelings of overwhelming shame. And, and then we get older and it gets a little more sophisticated, the ways that we hide. This morning, uh, as we were kind of, we were connecting with everybody who was gonna be part of the service today. And we had this little conversation uh, about setting up your backgrounds, right? Like these really carefully edited shots uh, that we'll, we'll create. Mine isn't all that particularly impressive. Um, but sometimes, you know, some people have really like impressive, you know, sort of like, let's make sure we set up in front of, you know, our books. And, and especially if it's like your, your Zoom background is where you're going to work all day, right? And so you've got, you need your professional sort of like uh, staging behind you. That's how we live our lives a lot of times as adults, right? Like we joke a lot about the Enneagram here at City Church, and which is basically a sense of sort of personality typing, but it goes a little deeper 
uh, into some spiritual elements than some personality tests do. And, and basically what we're talking about with Enneagram is what kind of false self do you present? Which of your good characteristics do you hide behind so that people won't see the parts of you that you're more shamed by? I'm a type one. I hide behind my perfectionism, right? My sense of look at how I've got it all together. I carefully curate that. Others of you, you know, it's your artisticness or your achieverdom, your ability to create peace, your dominating of the world and you're kind of being able to rescue. Yeah, I see that fist pump, Bill. Um, but we all have it. This false self, this is our much more sophisticated way of hiding from our shame. What if we don't actually have to hide? What if instead God is inviting us to come with our whole selves? The parts that we think like, wow, like this is, this is good stuff. And the parts where we're not actually totally sure what to do with it. Our broken bits, our messy bits, damaged. What if God is actually interested in all of it? Not to judge it, but to help us, to come alongside us, to lift us up, to heal us. It makes a difference, right? When we, when we notice those physical sensations of shame, do we think we need to go hide? Or can we view it as an invitation to come to be, to connect, and to heal. It changes our relationships. You know, tonight uh, we're having our first tools class, and I'll tell you all a little bit more about that at the end as well. But uh, in our first tools class, what Bill and I traditionally do is we have a fight together, a real one, um, something recent uh, in front of everybody. Because we actually think conflict is really important, knowing how to do it well. but. You know what the deal is with being able to have conflict with people? It requires this basic sense of safety and trust that I won't be shamed in this conversation, that instead I'll be welcomed with all of my weakness and, and there will be an opportunity for me to learn and to grow without rejection. Like that, that's the only way we do it, right? And I would say that's the only way we grow is by entering into these places. And it's not just personally. It's, it's, it's all of us together. It's our communities. It's our society. Uh, Lisa Sharon Harper, who we've learned from together as a church, and she's just one of my favorite teachers uh, to follow and, and to, to learn from these days. Um, she was responding uh, to an accusation that in talking about racism, that she was creating shame for people by having these important conversations. And I just loved what she said in response. She said, I do not seek to shame those who assent to the lie of political whiteness. The shame is already there. 
says, I'm not creating it. There's, there's already a sense of shame that people are just carrying around with them. I seek to free them from it. Repent and believe in their own humanity, God's goodness, and the full presence of the image of God in all. So the issue is there. Those, those physical sensations that some of us, not all of us, but some of us get as soon as we bring up complicated issues like racism, it's okay. It's the shame that's there because there are lies in your ear telling you that if you admit racism is real, it makes you bad and it makes you unlovable and it makes you irredeemable. But she's saying, no, I'm just inviting you to see, like, you can say it's real and then come out the other side and then learn, grow, change, heal. The shame's there. Shame, we're not going to get rid of shame this morning. What we're inviting is a different response. So good. Thanks, Brenna. Uh, so there are a lot of things that our culture treats as shameful. Uh, and yeah, in the, in the personal sphere, in the public sphere, um, you know, I think a lot of us have personal stories around sexuality and around childhood trauma that uh, has incredible emotional impact. And we can talk about those. Um, there's a lot around racism and I mean, our culture and, uh, you know, white supremacy. And what, what does that look like when we are part of that? And we've had lots of messages about that and we'll continue to, to talk about that. Today, we wanted to pick some other issues um, and one in particular, a, another area in our culture that treats as shameful. And we wanna intentionally look at mental illness uh, and just take a minute and talk about it openly. Uh, it's often swept under the rug. I think a lot of us are scared because like, well, what if that's me? or it's my family member. Um, and so today we have a gift, our friend, Justin Campbell. Uh, Justin, if you wanna unmute, uh, he's gonna share a little bit of his story around some of his challenges or, uh, with mental illness and stepping towards just exactly what Brenna has been talking about, uh, bringing things to light, not hiding, finding healing. Uh, Justin, are you? Uh, oh, there you are. Yeah, yeah, right here. <laughs> Looking good. Good to see you, friend. And thanks for uh, being willing to share this morning. Yeah, I totally appreciate that. Um, so tell us a little bit about sort of the crash, so to speak, from uh, December of 2019. Yeah, you know, um, I spoke about this a little bit for those of you who know me, you know, I've spoken about this. So, um, but, you know, <laughs> it's hard to pinpoint beginnings and endings of things like this, but, um, you know, I think I went, as I listened to you all speak, you know, I was thinking about 
some of the precipitating things that happened. Um, and I think one of the biggest things that led to me having this rock bottom, whatever you want to call it, uh, moment in December of 2019 was I went through a really, uh, I went through a separation that led to divorce and the church I was a part of basically sided with my ex. And so there was this, and I say that not in the terms to not, not to name them as being the bad people or whatever, but to kind of circle around back to the shame, you know, and how shame is deeply connected to connection and belonging. And, um, and so in that specific moment, I felt an enormous amount of shame. This is my fault. I'm here because of things that I, you know, it's all my fault. Um, when, as you were saying, conflict involves multiple people. So that's the, that's the reality. But I had internalized this idea that this is all my fault. What's happening to my kids is my fault. Um, and maybe the world would be better if I wasn't here, you know? Um, and the, what happened with the church and with the friends and with everything kind of um, confirmed the internal narrative I was telling myself. Uh, and so, you know, I, when I shared about this online, uh, you know, on Instagram or whatever, I, I said I, I became the, I, I believed I, I believed I was being called the villain and I kind of became the villain, you know, I, I internalized that I was the person, I was wrong. Um, yeah. And not to say that I didn't do things that, you know, were wrong or whatever, but that's not what I'm saying, but I had internalized that. I made the shift from guilt, I did some things that I, you know, regret, um, and that I, you know, wish I had done differently too I am inherently bad and don't really deserve to be here you know um, and the world would be better without me um, and so, so and that's that's a pretty deep place to go right when yeah. you're starting to say the world would be better without me yeah uh, and uh, wow yeah so it was a pretty I mean this is this is for me a pretty interesting I mean, I had been in therapy for six years, seven years, eight years, you know, um, and so I had been kind of doing some of the work, but so it was surprising to me that mm -hmm. I found myself in this place uh, and scary. Do you think that part of the work you had done was what led you to this place? hundred percent. Yeah, mm -hmm. I think. Talk, t tell us a little bit about that, because obviously we're big, we're big fans of therapy around here, but it seems like sometimes therapy can actually loosen up some things and you realize, ah, I didn't realize it was that messy in there. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not like I said, I, I'm not a licensed anything, um, but, you know, my personal experience is that uh, I buried a lot, you know, and I yeah. think uh, patriarchal masculinity teaches you know, cishet men to bury stuff. Um, and uh, that stuff started to get dug up. <laughs> and so I, it was overwhelming for me. And I couldn't handle uh, on some levels the, the amount of stuff coming up. Yeah. Um, and so, con you know, the inner stuff coming to grips with the outer stuff. And it was Christmas. And, uh, you know, I'm looking at people with their families and my family situations right. change, you know, it's just all these kind of factors coming together. Um, and so, uh, so yeah, yeah, I mean, even though I was in therapy, you know, it's still, and I think that was, again, I was like, wait, this is not how it's supposed to work. Like you're supposed to go to therapy, bada bing, bada boom, you're good. You know, uh, I'm doing all the things I'm doing the work, as they say. Um, but why is this happening to me? You know, this is not the way it's supposed okay. to be, but 
Um, so yeah, that was a, that was a, that was an intricate part of it for me. Yeah. I uh, I tell my kids when I come back from therapy, I say, "Now I'm fixed." Right. And yeah. They just exactly. Laugh. They just yeah, laugh because yeah. they know. Um, hey, so super isolating um, season, right? It's December, Christmas, all that stuff. Family, you're now uh, separated at this point, and you've got all this junk on the inside anyway, and all this stuff. What? Uh, and you're starting to you're starting to have these thoughts. The world would be better off without me, mm -hmm. right? Um, mm -hmm. What turned the corner for you? I mean, or help turn the corner. I'm not assuming that, you know, mm -hmm. every corner has been turned, but, you know, were there some key things in, in that season that truly deeply helped? Um, yeah. yeah, you know, um, I really, I really want to like emphasize this next part for me because it, I, I mean, I did, I did, I had a, a part to play in it, but if a very, if one, if this one friend had not called me, mm. I don't know what would have happened. Mm. Like, it's not like I'm going to be like, yeah, you know, I read this book and like everything was great. You know, I'm, I'm not going to say, sit here and say that. Like, literally, I didn't know what to do. I was, I was kind of like, I've done all the things, like what more is there to do kind of feeling, you know? Uh, and so this one friend just out of the blue just called me and just was like, how are you doing? And I think what I did was I shared honestly how I was doing, you know. Were you tempted not to share? I can't remember specifically, um, but I, I, it's funny. I, I, what I do remember is almost not wanting to pick up his call. Mm. I just remember that being like, Ugh, mm -hmm. I don't have the energy to talk to anybody today. Like, and so I'm really, you know, grateful I picked up the call, you know, um, and, uh, and I hadn't been very vocal about what I was going through at all, you know, really with anyone. So he didn't know, he didn't have any, you know, conscious knowledge of that. Um, That's well, in some ways your hiding was sort of a passive hiding, right? Yeah. You just sort of let some things drop off. Um, but when, when, when this friend called you, then that sort of, that was a lifeline really. Um, yeah. And so you start, so you started talking, were there some other things, were there a couple other friends where, I mean, what? Yeah, no, for, yeah, for me, he, I talked to him and he's like, he, he, I talked to another friend as well, um, about this too. Um, and both of them took me seriously. Mm. And I think that was like. Mm -hmm. that 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 moved me because mm -hmm. when they took it to and when my one friend was crying and saying you know no this world needs you you know that moved me and I was like whoa like I thought I was being dramatic in my head you know but to see them take me seriously uh was was you know extremely moving and the one friend that called me you know he said my you know my wife went somewhere and got some help maybe you should do that too and that started the whole process of me uh you know seeking help in ways that i had never sought help before you know even though i had been seeking help in other ways so um so yeah it just started that process and gave me hope that maybe there could be something else that i could try that could help me yeah you know i i just 
I think we all just feel so honored by your courage. You know, that, that you could actually listen to your friend. This is the reasoning together. I mean, this actually is a, I mean, from my vantage point, this is that spiritual moment, right? Yeah. I, I mean, I would say God broke in, right? And, oh, 100%. Yeah. I, yeah. I will say, though, that I even, there was, I still had to talk to people because mm -hmm. I was like, I don't know if I deserve this help. This help costs money. It's going to take time. I got to be, go somewhere for four weeks, you know, like, am I really worth all this attention? You know, so it was still, I still had to have those same, the same, you know, chorus of people saying, no, go get out of here. Go. We'll take, we'll hold things down. Like we got you. Like, don't worry about it. Like go, whether it's money, help, you know, we'll help you, but go, you know, um, if it's just that, if it's, if, if you want to do it, then, then we'll help you. So it's, it was still a process of, 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 un, of, of working through that, but yeah. Wow. I mean, this is, you're such a powerful story for us to hear. Like, this is what, this is what it looks like. This is you know, when we talk about it as a church, our vision statement is the renewal of all things. Like this is, the, it's the renewal of Justin Campbell. This is what it looks like. It's incredibly painful um, and yet so good. And I just grieve that, that it ever got to that point. And I totally understand it. And I realize, yeah, I can get to that point too. Uh, yeah. And, and I think even you know, just to kind of, go back to what I said about the community aspect, you know, I understand why it happened, you know, uh, and I want to just name that, you know, like, I'm not bitter about that. It's more mm -hmm. like, I get it, like it happens. Yeah. But yeah. for me, how I internalized it was X, Y, and yeah. Z. And yeah. so city church was actually a big healing space for me. Cause right when I got back from that experience is, you know, I hit up Alex and I was like, yo, where are you at? <laughs> and that's how i found y'all and then the pandemic happened you know and so but yeah i think for me this space has been a healing place of being able to be myself as i am you know while i work through this stuff so yeah um, but it you know uh, it's it's an infinite game right there's no yeah there's no winning you know you don't get to a point where like i went to my hundred therapy session and i won <laughs> <laughs> The, yeah. the point of an infinite game is to stay in the game, you know? Yeah. Um, and so that's really what the work has been. Well, we're just so glad that you have, uh, you know, you've taught us on other things um, that are sort of more in line with your, your professional expertise. And we're grateful for that, but we're just grateful for you, the you-ness of you, Justin. Yeah, um, thank you. You are such a beautiful man. And I just feel so honored to, to be able to, have you teach us what this journey looks like to show us so we're just deeply indebted so thank you so much thanks for sharing today thank you for uh asking me to share i appreciate you yeah yeah thanks buddy justin yeah we are so grateful and i think you're I, it was so funny I, I like watching the dynamics right and like our chat was totally silent during your story because I think we were all just like locked in.
Like it was just like, this is the story and we got to listen. Like can't look away. Right. And now I hope you'll, you'll read in the chat as people are starting to respond, but just so helpful. Yeah. So, thank you. Such a gift. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, when I think about stories, right. It's like part of the gift is just that they invite us to enter in, right. That as you were listening to Justin, that there's a piece of us that's going, yeah, this, I, I connect with this, this resonates. Uh, my therapist once uh, described it musically, you know, that there's just this sense of resonance uh, when we're listening to someone's story and, and it actually expands our soul. It expands our imagination. If this was possible for Justin, what's possible for us, right? How could our stories be similar? Whether it's coming in and, and being able to kind of come alongside someone and be the person who, who shows up and listens and takes your friend seriously or being the person who, you know, yeah, we're, we're there sort of in the pit. But maybe being able to share where we're at with someone and, and start the, the really hard process of climbing out of reconnecting. So I just wanna to end today with one last story. And, and it's a story about Jesus and a connection that he had. And it's just one last story to say, what are the possibilities? What might Jesus be inviting you into today? So Jesus is moving around the countryside. He's doing his thing very busy, all sorts of people starting to follow him, all sorts of buzz, right? This sort of talented young rabbi does things, miracles follow him, power, teaches with authority, all these people around him. And then there's a woman and she's an outcast. She's been an outcast for years through no fault of her own, but she has a condition where she is perpetually bleeding, most likely some sort of menstrual problem. And in this time, in this culture, this makes her unclean. It makes her an outcast. She is a physical embodiment of shame. And she's done everything that she can. She spent all of her money going around to doctors, trying to get healed. And there's just no healing to be had. But then comes Jesus. And there, there is something in her. Who knows what gives her the strength, the courage in this moment, the boldness. But something inside her says, I can't do it anymore. I've been told to hide. I've been told I must stay away from others and I just can't right now. And so she weaves her way through the crowd, trying not to draw any attention to herself. And she reaches out and she touches the hem of Jesus' cloak, thinking that may do it. That's all I need, just one touch. And immediately 
Jesus feels something. He doesn't know what, he doesn't know who, but he feels a sense of power going out from him. And, and he's, he wants to know who touched me, what happened? Where is the person who needed me? And that's where we pick up the story right now. We're gonna have this verse in the chat. Then the woman, knowing what had happened to her, she felt an immediate healing. She came and she fell at his feet and trembling with fear, told him the whole truth. She just says, I can't do it anymore. I've got to actually say what's going on with me. I'm just going to tell my story. No more hiding. No false self. This is my story. And Jesus meets her. He welcomes her. He honors her. He says to her, daughter, your faith has healed you. Go in peace and be freed from your suffering. And it's a freedom, but it's not, it's not just about the bleeding. It's about the isolation and the shame. It's all done. It's all gone. He's inviting her just into a new phase of life, one where shame will not define her anymore. The community is going to accept her again. But most importantly, Jesus accepts her. Jesus honors her and welcomes her. Where is God speaking to you in all of these stories today? This welcome and this comfort, this healing, it's an invitation for all of us.